Canadian Family Health Counseling provides education and counseling services across Canada and beyond. Our holistic approach, called Neural Network Therapy, uses practical tools to boost mood, reduce anxiety, manage anger, break unwanted habits, and develop strong, healthy relationships. Sit back and relax while clinical director and founder Kim Sargent shares her insights and expertise on why emotional health matters. Hello, and welcome back to Emotional Health Matters. My name is Kim Sargent, and I'm clinical director of Canadian Family Health Counseling and founder of Neural Network Therapy. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about Neural Network Therapy in a roundabout way. And I'm guessing that you plugged into this because you read the title, which is How to Make Them Love You More. I don't think anybody, you know, really calls into the practice or, you know, inquires about our services saying, I really would like for you to tell me how this person that I love could love me more. But in many ways, when it comes to doing our work around coupleship or dealing with people that have broken up, going through a bad breakup slowly. Um, that's really the question that they're asking. You know, it's not the conscious question, but I, I think certainly it's the unconscious question. And we have an answer for it, which is really, you know, probably the most exciting part of that, because we don't always have answers for things. I mean, there are things like grief, for instance, that grief is going to have its way with you one way or another. It's just a process that you're going to go through, and we can help support that process. And in some ways, maybe even speed it along, finding, you know, greater relief, finding ways to get unstuck from the habit of, of thinking that can leave you feeling really stuck. But we we really can't solve the problem. You're still going to go through grief. And yet when we deal with situations around, you know, loving someone and feeling as though you're in a very vulnerable place and you're sort of wiggling at the end of a hook and that you love them more than they love you, we have some things you can do about that. So I decided it was probably helpful for me to talk a bit about that in this podcast. And with that, so, I mean, one of the things that happens when we we fall in love is that our circuitry just, you know, surges into this, it explodes into this beautiful place where we have, you know, we're pouring appreciation over not just the person that we were falling in love with, but really everything. I mean, the grass is greener and the birds are singing and, you know, there's a reason why there's cartoons based on what it feels like to fall in love. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And if we've fallen in love from a place of already being in appreciation, you know, the air is not so rarefied. We're already feeling that way about lots of things. And now we've just got a person to attach that sense of appreciation to, and it feels pretty good. But if we've been down in despair, I think we've talked about this in other podcasts, then sometimes that shot way up into the, into the, you know, atmosphere can feel really, really overwhelming. Suddenly we're just way up there and um, we can kind of get what we refer to in the opposite, similar as to being a, a diver down at the very bottom of the ocean floor, and all of a sudden you come up way too quickly and you get the bends. So I want to talk a little bit about this falling in love, being obsessed, and what real love is all about, because in terms of our chemistry, it's really kind of all the same thing. The only difference is that falling in love is something that we say when there are two of us doing it. Being in love is about the same. There's two people expressing the same idea of love that's passing between the two of us, this feel-good chemistry that's going on, and then being obsessed, which is really just the one-way street, but all the same chemistry nonetheless. And it does feel good. It can be a bit of a drug. It can be a high um, and it can you know, kind of put a shine on lots of things in life. So it's understandable that we'd like to have those little sparkly feelings from time to time. But here's here's the danger in that. And that's that, you know, we can become love junkies. And I would definitely say I was a love junkie. I, I thought, you know, 
for years. Okay, well, if I've fallen out of love, when really what I was talking about is I'd fallen out of the initial chemistry of something, then it was just time to move on. I didn't reach for something deeper. I thought it was all very mystical and wonderful, and I had to just see see what was around the next bend. And I think that that's a fairly common affliction. Um, I think that, you know, part of that you mature out of quite naturally. And part of it, I think, is more um, more of a spiritual journey. There's something deeper. You're kind of looking inside as opposed to what's going on outside. And that's the part that I, I want to talk about, because I think, you know, when you haven't been feeling so good and suddenly you meet somebody and you feel really good, then part of what happens is your brain fires off and you, and you look at this person and you attribute all the feel-good feelings that you're having to this human that you're looking at, that you're talking to, that you've just met, that you've brought into your experience. And then you start to get into a bit of, you know, the crazy making, which is a bit like, it looks something like this. It's, it's okay, we've got this feel-good chemistry. I know that I want to keep having this feel-good chemistry. So I'd like to know where you're going to be from now until, you know, maybe the rest of our lives. And we try to pin this thing down, like as quickly as possible, which seems a little silly. But the reality is that that's exactly how evolution has occurred. It said, okay, you know, this chemistry, my chemistry is going to match really well with your chemistry. So let's put this thing together and make some babies and carry on, you know, the planet, uh, or mankind on the planet, humankind, human existence, um, by continuing to procreate. So this is this is for a reason. Let's not let's not take this out of context. And as I've said before, you know, uh, girls tend to begin this, um, let's nail this thing down, you know, maybe in grade four or five, where we start writing his last name or their last name after our first on our, on our binders. <laughs> we get really committed to the idea of, you know, wanting a relationship that we can really nail down to something. And oftentimes, really, for um, the male brain, it, you know, they're not ready for this, this nailing down thing until maybe closer to 30. So there's kind of, there's a bit of a difference, um, which is about the time, actually, oddly enough, that a, a female brain tends to relax some and begin to open up the possibility that, you know, maybe it's just not this one person and this lockdown situation. All of this is meant to be able to have some children, you know, and, and make sure we raise them long enough to be able to, you know, that they can survive on the planet. So this is not all a terrible thing, but it does play havoc on what's going on in our relationships. And it keeps us externally focused is probably the most important part. So what we talk about in neural network therapy is actually creating a shortcut to do the opposite. There is absolutely nothing that you want in life. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Not, not you know, the next furniture, the next career, the next person that you want to bring into your experience, the bigger house, the trip, the whatever it is, um, there's nothing that, that you want in this world that you don't want for one reason and one reason alone. And that's because you think you're going to be happier. And so part of what happens is the brain begins to go about this. Again, this whole thing that's on the side of evolution, we're meant to go and get the thing that we think that we desire and bring it back to us. And, you know, that might be just a shiny piece of fruit that's going to help with our sustenance. And we're going to, you know, carry on with, you know, proper nutrition, and we're going to we're going to feed the clan, but that that's changed over the years. Of course, now we've got, you know, shopping channels and you can have things delivered at the speed of light and all, all of these things have happened. So we've actually become so externally oriented that that dopamine, that little rush of feel good chemistry that we get when we go and get something and bring it back to us has become, you know, really quite tapped out. And so we're, we're moving faster and faster now through relationships, faster and faster through the stuff that we think that we want. And we've got, you know, larger catalogs, I guess, you know, I mean, I, as a kid, and some people would remember this, there was the Sears catalog. And that had a wish 
um, there was a wish book that came out at Christmas time. And that's really what you had to choose from to look at what you wanted as a child. And so began this idea of I want that thing. And, and if Santa Claus brings that to me, then I'm going to feel really happy about that. And we're going to move on to the next thing. Uh, but you might have a whole year in between that you, you kind of daydream that. So um, I think it was, you know, I think it was a little easier on our nervous system to do that. Our chemistry wasn't constantly uh, in a place of, of supply and demand. I want, I want, I want, and, and then and then constantly looking to reach externally for that thing. So there is a way to be able to turn this thing around um, and, and to shortcut the process. And that's the, to begin to learn how to be happy now. And that sounds really silly and simple uh, for somebody that's really struggling with that. But the reality is that the person that that we meet, that we, we fall in love with, that we feel like this is it, this is the connection that I want, um, can feel really good and we feel really together and we hold that and it's you know something that's working really well until suddenly we decide, yes, I want to lock this thing down. And at that point, this is when things start to go a little squirrely. For one, we begin to behave in different ways because we're, we're really now in a, operating out of fear. We don't want this thing to go away. And if we haven't been feeling very good and now suddenly we're feeling really good, it's all the more. And then we do something funny where we try to pretend that we don't want something as much as we want it because that seems, you know, and now we seem a little obsessed and, you know, now, you know, we don't want them to know that this is how intense this feeling is for us. So we start to try to mask that. We're not really very real about it. And in that masking, we lose that connection to our genuine source. And so also <laughs> do we lose that connection to the person that we've just met that feels so good because we put blocks between us and them. We've started to disconnect as a genuine being. We've started to say, you know, I don't trust that if I'm just who I am um, and I let you know exactly how I feel about you, that um, you're going to stick around and I'm going to face this thing of rejection or abandonment and it's going to be awful and painful. And so I'm doing everything I can here to posture against it. The moment we begin posturing against anything, we begin to resist. And the moment we resist anything that we're fearful might happen in a negative way, we're also, of course, resisting the well-being that's flowing through our body. Um, it makes us bit by bit by bit slightly less attractive. <laughs> and so that slightly can increase exponentially as we begin to posture more and more. So what will happen is, of course, the more blocks we put between us, the more questions or doubts the other person on the other side of, of that receiving end is going, who, I don't, what? I thought this person, wait a minute. And they become quite confused. I know for myself, uh, especially as a younger person, I really held true to my Scorpio. Because I just, if I wanted something, I just wanted it. But the opposite was, you know, I mean, if, so if you, you know, if all of a sudden there was any risk that I was going to lose this thing, I had this fierce little part of me that was really kind of possessive. And it wasn't my best quality, that's for sure. Um, isn't my best quality. I mean, every now and again, it pops up again and I go, oh, no, there she is. What's that about? Um, and we can run wild with it because we're really just looking to try to soothe that pain. We don't want to be feeling this insecure feeling. And understandably so. It's a pretty raw and awful feeling. But when we boil it down, it's actually just a feeling of feeling uncomfortable. And if we play around with that a little while, we realize that uncomfortable is really how we achieve really anything in this world. It's the, the distance between what we know and what we what we want or what we think we want. It's a, it's a funny little in-between feeling that I'm going to suggest that we get really comfy cozy with because I think it's where all growth happens. I think it's where expansion is. I think that when you've got, you know, big ideas and things that you want to see happen and you want to create in your life, I think that that uncomfortable feeling needs to become your best friend. And so I'm going to suggest that when you want someone to love you better, 
that you make it an inside job. You turn that focus away from, yes, okay, I've identified this is the person that I want and, and I really want for them to come toward me and not move away from me. So I've got, a, I've got a job here. And that's to get as real as I possibly can with who I am and how I'm feeling and to take the risk to say, look, I'm going to put this on the table. I really like spending time with you. And I can feel that little panicky part in me kind of churning up that says, and so I want to hang on to you desperately. And I'm going to do everything I can not to do that because I know that I'm going to extinguish this really beautiful connection that we have if I do. And and I really want to do this another way. What do you think? (laughs) And you don't have to necessarily even say all those words out loud. I'm talking about really more of an inner dialogue. This is really about you and you. So I want you to begin to do a few things. One is that every time you identify something that you would like for them to say or you would like for them to do, I want you to write it down and I want you to figure out how you can go about doing it for yourself. So if you're looking for a romantic partner, you had better become really, really romantic in your life. And I'm talking storybook romantic. Your brain has to recognize the feeling of what it's looking for in order to be able to bring it into your life, to find it in others and bring it home to you. It just can't go randomly out there. It's, you know, think of your Google search bar. It has to have, you know, seen this typing happen before where it kind of knows this configuration of words and then it can pull it up for you. But you've got to do the work of getting familiar with it. And I I think movies are a great way of of, you know, kind of hijacking the brain and saying, hey, look, you know, I know that you can't tell the difference between what's real or imagined. So how about we watch some really cheesy movies right now and see if we can kind of sink into this romantic feeling. Um, And, you know, uh, there's an argument to be made that sometimes we can set about unrealistic expectations. But I do think that finding the vibe of what you're looking for is really important. Finding and holding, finding and holding that vibe. More importantly, it's about practicing some of those habits that are in place in a romantic relationship. So maybe it would look like taking a picnic for one down to a park, you know, putting out, putting out the, the little blanket and sitting and having something to eat. And I don't mean with your phone so that you don't feel embarrassed and you don't know, you know, you've got a place to look and because you're kind of, you know, you're doing two things there. You're not working on how to be content. You're, you're actually tapping out dopamine all the more because you're having an interaction, but in a public place. So I'm talking about really getting comfy cozy with the idea of being moving from place to place with ease and feeling comfortable and strong and safe and you know, kind of in this, um, it's boosting the sense of contentment is what we're going for. Because if you think about who you're most attracted to in this world, is it somebody that's clamoring about, or even somebody who's high, high energy, but frantic? Or is it somebody that's really got this great vibe of being calm? And I would think most of us really, you know, even if it was somebody that was kind of a whoop, whoop, party type going over one direction versus somebody sitting there sort of just smiling at some kids playing on a playground or, you know, indulging in a big bag of popcorn at a movie theater all by themselves. What do we, what are we drawn to? What do we say? Wow, that's, you know, they've got something going. I want some of what she's having or he's having. And of course, I think we would all, you know, we could all say that that's, that's the way to go. So I want to, you know, I I want you to to imagine that this process of having them love you more is going to be about creating this shortcut, this neural network in the brain that says every time I feel restless or uncomfortable, rather than looking to try to nail down or or have some form of interaction with this person that I've set as in my sights, 
I'm going to instead go about the inside job of finding that place of feeling content. I'm going to do this over and over and over again. The repetition alone is what's going to sync up the neural network. And I'm going to begin to move from being externally oriented to internally oriented. And, and the crazy thing is that once I know that this is actually happening, once this is beginning to really work, what will happen is you will no longer need <laughs> or panic about this person that you want. So it's kind of like the bonus plan. You're, you're going to move away from that anxiety-driven, oh my gosh, where are you going to be the rest of my life, to instead going, you know, it's okay, because what's not meant for me isn't mine, and I don't want it. I want just only what's meant for me. I mean, really meant for me. I think we've all been there when we've thought that, you know, that whole Garth Brooks thanking God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> and so I know myself, I've had relationships with that. I just, I just want them. It would just be the most important thing in my whole world. And, and thankfully, I don't end up with whatever that thing is that I thought that I wanted. I don't manifest it. Everybody's into manifesting these days. I don't manifest that thing that I thought that I wanted. And then months, sometimes years later, all of a sudden that thing comes walking, that person, that situation comes walking back into my life and says, here I am. And I go, I don't actually want that. That wasn't really exactly in my highest good. So that's kind of cool that that got worked out in universal details. And I didn't have to figure it out on my own with this very primitive brain of mine. I'm glad that energy took care of it. Um, that's a lot of trust. And, and when we get into this idea of uh, hanging on to a partnership or clinging to a partnership, that's whole, you know, if you've heard the saying before, it's a beautiful one. We use it all the time in the practice. And that's flee, they follow, follow, they flee. I don't know who said it. I just know it's a brilliant little saying. And, and, and if you can figure out, am I the fleer or am I the follower and stop that one way or another, you begin to actually settle into that place that I'm talking about, that, that place of feeling content. Because if you're content, you're not fleeing, nor, nor are you following. You're just sort of there. That's the work. That's the place. And bit by bit, all those things that, you know, all those blockages kind of lift up a bit like a, a you know, if you've ever played Kerplunk, there's all these sticks that are in the way. And you've got to bit by bit selectively choose that those sticks one after the other, and all those marbles fall to the, the bottom. It's the same idea. If you want that flow of energy to happen, it's a matter of getting those sticks out of the way. And every time you catch yourself in a place of resistance, every single time, whether it's the fear of thinking that you're clinging to the relationship or you're trying to extract something out of this person that really isn't them at all, it could be that you're, you know, you're, you're trying to nail that, you know, you're going into that, I keep using the word nail down, I don't know why that's sticking with me, but it's just the idea of, of, of trying to secure something really only for the point of thinking, I'm going to be happier if I have this. And of course, as we all know, there are no guarantees. So this is really just about a moment to moment, day to day, sometimes hour by hour practice of being content in the life that you have. That's it for today. If you like what you've heard on today's podcast and want to learn more about our counseling and education services, or to get involved with our Grow Happy Gardens Health and Happiness Worldwide Tour, visit our website at canadianfamilyhealth.ca. Because health and happiness begin with you.